Please remain standing now as I read to you the sermon text. It's Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. This is the inspired word of God. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven there, those who were with him gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that indeed Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We stake our own lives, not just here, but eternally upon that fact. We pray that you would make us more sure of it, more, more absolutely, positively, completely able to rest in the fact that Jesus has conquered the grave. 
And in so doing, he has enabled us to live life as it is meant to be lived. Equip us to do so. Empower us to do so. We pray in the name of Christ, the risen Savior. Amen. Well, I saw the results of a survey the other day. It was a survey asking people if they were members of a religious organization, a church, a synagogue, a mosque, what have you. Uh, it's, a, it's a survey that had been taken for many, many, many years, dating back at least as far as the 1940s, I know, because in, in the 1940s, throughout the mid-60s, approximately 75% of people in America said, yes, indeed, we are members of a place of worship. Um, that, that number dropped slightly over the last part of the 20th century, dropping down to about 70% during that time. But in the last 20 years, we've seen a, a precipitous drop. According to the survey, the, the number is now less than 50%. And, and we can guess that, of course, the, the diminishing impact of the church on our society, on our culture, is, is a reflection of that fact, that just fewer people are a part of the church. But even so, there are two days in the church's calendar that still resonate with the culture at large. First, of course, we have Christmas. And then, secondly, Easter. It's Easter today, of course, and so, so we look at that one and we consider how, how much like Christmas, the culture at large celebrates this holiday but it either doesn't care or it is thoroughly confused about what exactly is, is the importance or the emphasis or the, the focus of this day. For many in our culture, Easter is all about uh, the Easter bunny and brightly covered eggs or pastel colors and, and the ceremonial start to spring. Or perhaps... It's about vacations and family and, and a big meal together. It's not that all of these things are necessarily bad things. They're just not the right things. They represent a confusion as to what Easter is supposed to be about. And while our culture is confused, may, may it never be the case with the church. May we always remember that Easter is all about Jesus. Right, that's our first point this morning. Easter is all about Jesus. If you're taking notes, that's point number one. And it's true whether we recognize it or not. Right? Sometimes you're in the midst of a situation and you don't even realize where you are. Right? You don't realize what's going on around you and, and, and something happens and you're like, wait, did that happen? I didn't even didn't notice. Wow. That happened to the, the disciples here that are in our text today. The two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and, and they're talking with each other about all the things that had happened that day. It indeed had been a crazy, confusing day, which had followed on the heels of a crazy, confusing week. And you can imagine how their, their heads must have been spinning in the midst of all this, right? We 
we read in verses 22 to 24 of our text today about how, how there was the, the women who went to the tomb and they found it empty and then the angels and then, then Peter goes and, and, and then we read in the Gospels that even Jesus apparently appeared to Mary. It all seems to be just kind of crazy. It seems to be, I don't know, too good to be true after so much has gone so badly the last few days. To hear such good news is almost too good to believe. That can happen sometimes, right? You hear news that is just too good to believe in our natural reaction is to just say, no, I, I, just, I just can't believe that that is true. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe all this talk about a resurrected Jesus, one who was put to death but is now alive, maybe you just find it to be too incredible to believe. Maybe you say, that I, I just can't get my mind around that. And if that's the case with you, then that's okay. We're glad that you're here with us. We're glad that you've, you've joined us today, whether it's in person or, or online. I, I would just ask you this, that today you would just consider the claims of Jesus and the claims of Scripture with an open mind. Just consider them today and consider that perhaps they just might be true. Perhaps you'll come to realize the kind of impact that Jesus can have on your life and how close he is to you even right now. That's part of the reason people don't recognize that Easter is all about Jesus because they don't realize how close he is. He's closer than we're aware. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from seeing him. He was right there with him, walking with them, talking with them, having a discussion. He's, he's walking down the road and they don't realize it's Jesus. They don't realize how close he actually is at this moment, this man that they've spent the last three years with, that they've listened to and learned from and, and, and followed and focused their entire life on, and now they don't even realize that he's right there. He said to them, what, what's this conversation you're holding? What, what exactly are you guys talking about? And Cleopas says, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who does not know the things that happened here? He says, I, I mean, dude, have you not checked out Twitter or Facebook all weekend long? I mean, it's all over the place. Everybody, you, you can't avoid it. Everybody knows what's going on here. And Jesus says, huh, well, I, I, I must have missed things. I love how he answered. He, says, he said to them, what, what things? You know, I, I guess maybe I've been busy this weekend or something and I missed it, you know? What, what things? They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned and crucified. And this, of course, as we said on Friday night, was God's plan all along, right? It hadn't caught him off guard. It wasn't, wasn't like, uh-oh, better make 
an alternate plan. No, this was the plan from the very beginning. And so Jesus wasn't surprised by it. But the people were. The people who were following Jesus, even though he had told them that this is what was going to happen, even though he told them that this was what must happen, they still didn't clue in somehow. That's another reason we get confused about Easter, I think. It's because it is different and so much more than what we expect. Right, they say in verse 21, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. The idea of redemption, this idea of redeem is to, to purchase out of slavery, right? To, to purchase a slave's freedom was to redeem them. It is, it is true that, that they had sought Jesus to bring redemption, but the redemption that they were looking for, the, the purchase out of bondage that they were seeking was, was to be freed from the bondage of the Roman oppression that was over them. That's the freedom that they thought that he would bring, but indeed Jesus had a greater freedom that he was bringing. He had a greater redemption that he was bringing, a redemption from slavery to sin and to Satan and to death. But they didn't understand, they didn't realize how very much he was accomplishing. And, and now they've had these stories, these rumors, they, we don't really believe them, but, but we don't know what to make of them. The women went to the tomb and, and they think they saw angels and, and we're just confused. We don't, we don't know what to make of it. And then Peter went and he, he checked it out and it was empty, but, but we just don't know. We're confused by it all. Could it be true? Could it be true that Jesus really rose from the dead? Yes, it could be true. In fact, it's the centerpiece of the whole thing. It's, it's really what Easter is all about. If you take away the empty tomb and the risen Savior, there really is no Easter. In fact, there really is no Christian faith. It all crumbles and falls away if indeed Jesus did not rise from the dead. It's all worthless. It's not just me saying that, but Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that, that if there is no resurrection, we are among all people most to be pitied. But the tomb was empty. You see, it, it, it was empty, and the question is, how did it get that way? How did the tomb get to empty? It, it was not empty. There was a dead body in it. A stone had been rolled in front of it. It had been sealed. They had brought a Roman guard to protect the tomb. All of Jesus' followers were scattered and confused and fearful, and they weren't even expecting a resurrection. And here we are on Sunday morning, and the tomb is empty. I'm going to say along with Scripture that of all the explanations you can come up with, the one that is most plausible as unbelievable as it might seem, the one that is most plausible is that Jesus rose from the dead. We don't have time to go into all the explanations and all the reasons, we've done that before, and if you would like to have that discussion, I would love to sit down with you. If you have questions about that, if you wonder, is that really the most plausible explanation, please give me a call. 
Give me a call. Let's sit down. Let's have a cup of coffee and, uh, and, and talk about these things together. But uh, for today, we, we need to move on. And we need to understand as Christians that we really shouldn't be so hard on those who, who miss out on the fact that Easter is all about Jesus. Because really, we have a tendency sometimes to miss out on the fact that things are about Jesus as well. We have a tendency to see ourselves even as the center of the story, don't we? We, we kind of think about things, well, how does it just revolve around me? I see everything from my perspective. Right? We, we do it even with the Bible sometimes. We tend to see the Old Testament specifically as, as a group of stories about heroes of the faith who who we're supposed to look to and emulate, and we, we learn from these moralistic tales, and we, we pattern our lives after them, and we try to be like them, right? Look at Abraham, be like Abraham. Look at, look at Moses, be like Moses. Look at David, be like David. Brian Chappell has a great phrase for this. He calls these the, the deadly bees, right? Be like David, be like Moses, be like Abraham. These could be deadly bees because that's not what brings us life. You see, because, because for David and Moses and Abraham and anyone else in the Old Testament, when they were at their best, it was not by their own strength that they were at their best. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit in them. It was by the power of God and the grace of God working through them that they were at their best. And when they were at their worst, they were all pretty rotten. The, the, the sins that they committed are heinous and terrible. And these are the heroes of the faith. We don't want to be like them in that. They did things that were unthinkable. So if the stories aren't there to just be stories of the heroes of the faith for us to emulate, to, to be like, then what are they there for? Well, they're there to point us to Jesus, right? Because the Bible, like Easter, is all about Jesus. Verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. He says, you, you didn't get what the prophets were saying. You're, you're not believing what they told you. Wasn't it necessary? They told you that, that Christ would have to suffer these things to enter in his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The whole scripture points to Jesus. From Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, all of scripture points to him, And when we understand Scripture as primarily being about us and how we should live and what we should do and how we can have the life we want to have, then we understand it absolutely wrong. Now certainly there are applications to our life that need to be made, but they can only be properly understood when we understand that Scripture first and foremost points to Jesus. Tim Keller put it better than I ever could, so I'm just going to quote him at length here. He said that Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who though innocently slain has blood now that cries out not for our condemnation but for our acquittal. 
Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son whom you love from me, now we can look at God taking his son up on the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly right, innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, even though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm that we might be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death would pass over us. He is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible is not about you. It is about Jesus. And so when we look to God's word, when we look to God's word, we see it not just as uh, you know, the, the owner's manual for life, right? The, the way we should operate in life, the, the rule book that tells us the things to do. The, the, the guidebook for a, you know, a recipe for happiness. It's not these things. We look to God's word so that we can see Jesus as he truly is. Now something happens when we see Jesus. When we see Jesus, not just think we see Jesus, not just catch a glimpse of Jesus, but when we see Jesus as he truly is, something happens. Remember, we just finished 1 John, and, and, and in 1 John chapter 3, he said, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he, that is Jesus, the risen Lord, appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. When we see Jesus as he is, we are transformed. We are conformed to his likeness. We are made to be like him. You see the point? When we, when we see him and know him and are known by him, it is a relationship after all, we become like him. I recently saw someone make the point that, that 
growing in holiness was not just a matter of of stopping doing the things that you shouldn't be doing, right? That's how we think of it sometimes. Like, I want to grow in holiness. I want to stop doing all the bad things. But, But the point is that growing in holiness is not just stopping doing the bad things, right? It's actually growth in Christ likeness. It's becoming like Christ so that we not only don't do the bad things, but we do the things we ought to do. We become more like him in every way. Our life becomes shaped by and directed by and, and controlled by Christ. And this is what we were made for. Jesus was the perfect human being. He lived life as life was meant to be lived. And so if we are to live like him, then we too will live life in all of its fullness And that's our third point. Life is all about Jesus. Easter is all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. And life is all about Jesus. They drew near to the village where they were going. Jesus acted as if he was going further. I love that, that passage. It seems like just a throwaway verse. He acted like he was going further. I think Jesus sometimes does that. Jesus Jesus acts in such a way as if he is going to remove himself from us. He distances himself from us so that we might feel our need for him, so that we might, might ache for him, right? I, yesterday was Holy Saturday, right? That day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And, and on that day, what happens? Not much. God is silent, right? And, and you know, you kind of wish that like, maybe, maybe God should have sent an angel on that day and said, hey, don't worry, guys, it's going to be all right, okay? Buck up, we'll be there, just, just hang in there for a little bit longer because, because Jesus is going to rise tomorrow morning. But he didn't, he was silent, right? They just had to sit there in the silence and the, the pain and the sorrow and the grief. And sometimes Jesus leaves us to feel that, not because he's not with us, for he is always with us. But sometimes he removes his felt presence from us. I think that's what's going on there. He says, uh, I'm gonna go on. And, and they long to have him stay with them. And so they say, no, you can't go on. It's too late, stay here. They still don't know who Jesus is, but they know they want him close. You might not know everything about Jesus. You might not understand everything about Jesus yet. But as you begin to see Jesus, you'll realize that you want him close. That's how people responded to him. People who were the sinners and the outcasts, those who knew nothing but judgment and condemnation from the religious elite in their day found in Jesus one who, who they wanted close by, one who, who showed them warmth and grace and forgiveness and love and welcoming. And they wanted to be near Jesus. Well, Jesus stayed with them, we see, and in verse 30, he was at the table with them breaking bread, and he blessed the bread and gave it to them, sharing a meal is a wonderful experience of fellowship. Many of us will do that later today, right? We'll share a meal with each other. But it's not just any meal, it echoes, doesn't it, the Lord's Supper that was instituted just a few days earlier. 
in the breaking of the bread, and we see that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Right, in the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened, and, and, and I, I just imagine that, that that's likely what happened. It's the Lord's Supper, what he had just done. And, and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper next Sunday, and it's my hope and prayer that we will recognize, we will see the Lord in that. And, and that seeing him, we will, we will eat the bread and drink the cup, and as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, therefore, proclaim the death of the Lord. Right, and that's what should our, our life should be. It should be a proclamation that Christ has died and risen again. And in so doing, he has conquered death. He has freed us from its power. He has broken the chains that have bound us to this broken and fallen world. And he has, he has released us from our bondage to Satan, sin, and yes, even death. And that's not just something that is for after we die. That is not just something for the, the, the future. It's something for today. N.T. Wright puts it well. He says, after all, the Easter stories in the Gospels don't end up with saying, he lives within my heart. Nor do people say in those first stories, ah, oh, that's all right. Now, now we can go to heaven after all. no they end up with people saying, Jesus is raised, therefore new creation has begun. And we have a job to do. His kingdom has been inaugurated. In a sense, it is already here and it is growing. It might be in seed form still, but it is growing and it will one day reach its consummation when all things will be set right. It might not look like it's growing right now, right? When we look at the world and we see pain and suffering, when we see discord and a lack of harmony, when we see wars and we see battles and we see fights and we see all kinds of death and pain and sorrow and grief and disease, it doesn't look like his kingdom is here and growing. But when Jesus hung on the cross on Good Friday, beaten and bloodied beyond recognition, breathing his final breaths in painful gasps, feeling the weight of the Father's displeasure at our sin on his shoulders. And his final breaths were spent on a cry of dereliction and a commitment of his spirit onto the hands of his Father. Did it look like Jesus was winning? No, it did not, did it? But that's precisely what he was doing. And it's what he's doing now. Just as darkness enveloped the earth, the earth shook, death seemed to prevail on Friday. Easter Sunday shows us that it did not. And so Easter Sunday shows us that even in this world that we see with, with COVID and with, with all the other things that are happening in our world and the, the battles between people on the left and people on the right and the, the international things going on and all the messes we see in the world, Easter reminds us that Jesus is still winning. He is our champion and victory is ours in him. So let us rally around him today. 
Let us see his kingdom grow in our midst. For Easter changes everything. We read here that that Jesus vanished from their sight. They said to another, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Remember just a while back they had told Jesus, it's too late to travel, Jesus. You have to stay here. But now, maybe an hour later, they're saying, well, we need to hit the road. We need to hit the road because once you've seen Jesus, once you've encountered the risen Christ, everything has changed. Now now they've got seven miles to walk back to Jerusalem. This is another four hours. It's already nighttime. That's not the kind of thing that you would normally do. But once you've encountered the risen Lord, you want to tell people. Because this is the most important thing that has ever happened to you. And so they go, and when they get there, they find that that they're not the only ones that he's appeared to. He's appeared to Simon. Simon, boy, we could spend a whole sermon series just on this, but what grace Jesus shows in appearing to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. If we're to go on from here, we'd read about how Jesus appeared to all the disciples then and how it changed everything for them, how a a new creation had begun with that. They had a job to do, and in doing it, they turned the world upside down. For the kingdom that was not of this world had broken into this world. And though they misunderstood, and though they doubted, and though they denied, now they were sure. Jesus indeed was the king of kings. He is the king of kings and to him alone will the knee bow. So just as we will sing in a moment, crown him the Lord of life, triumphant o'er the grave who rose victorious from the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing who died and reigns on high. He died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. So death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me once more? Our Lord, we worship you as the risen King. Equip us and empower us that we might live life, not just after we die, but life today. Life that is abundant, life that is meaningful, life that is life as it is meant to be lived, life that only you can give for you are the Lord of life. We pray that you would help us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. For this is how Christ first loved us. He who once was dead and is now alive, who lives to reign over us, and to work that his kingdom might shine brightly throughout all of creation.
It is in his name, the powerful and mighty name of King Jesus, the risen Lord, that we pray. Amen. Would you rise as we sing together, crown him with many crowns.